Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Wednesday, March 17th. Happy St. Patrick's Day. We begin with our monthly conversation with Police Chief Mark Newfeld. We'll find out about Calgary Police Service's current recruitment drive and ask the Chief who would be a good candidate to work for the CPS. Next, it's another edition of Ask the Doctor with Dr. Craig Janney, infectious disease specialist from the University of Calgary. As always, Dr. Janney takes the time to answer coronavirus questions as sent in by you, the listener. Women are leading the charge when it comes to building Alberta's economic diversification. We learn about a new online community fostering financial literacy and collaboration among women. We speak with the CEO of The51.com. And finally, it's the tastiest segment of the day. We catch up with Cammie Laird, editor of Saver Calgary Magazine, for details on their latest issue, which includes cooking with beer and a pasta-making masterclass. Mm. Hope that fits. 709, it is Mornings with Sue and Andy, and very excited that Calgary Police Chief Mark Newfeld joins us for his monthly visit here on the program. A good morning to you, Chief. Good morning and happy St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, you. Newfeld is—is is, is that Irish? <laughs> yes, of course. It is. <laughs> At least today it is, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Again, always happy to talk about issues happening in our city and uh, issues that affect uh, Calgarians. But a, a bit of a different slant this morning, Chief. I understand that the CPS is looking for a few good uh, women and men. So let's talk about recruiting and and who who would make a good candidate to work with the Calgary Police Service. Do you know what? Virtually anybody should uh, consider. Um working with Calgary Police Service. I think, you know, if you're, if you're service-oriented and you've got a passion for service to the community and, and um, that type of thing, I think uh, it's something that uh, would be worth looking at. So how do people get involved if they're, if they're interested? This might even, you know, even a, a not quite sure, but want to look into it a little bit more about whether the CPS is for them. You know, there's a couple ways, uh, Sue. We have all the information in terms of the uh, process itself, uh, the multi-stage process on the website. But um, what we have added recently, our recruiters have added uh, kind of a coffee or a latte with a cop um, segment. And so that's actually turned into an online thing as opposed to, you know, going out to mm-hmm. different locations uh, the way it used to be. But certainly recruiters can actually answer any questions people might have. And these have been really, really um, popular uh, to the point that we've had to add more on. Um, so we're really excited about uh, connecting with folks to answer questions about uh, recruiting. Chief, I have a nephew who is uh, going through the program right now as far as uh, moving toward uh, working for, with the CPS. Very excited. A young guy who saw out of high school, it's going to take him his time to get, to, to get up to speed. But I'm wondering, is this uh, exclusively for people you know, uh, uh, starting their careers or could people do a career change and join the CPS? You know what's really neat, uh, Andrew, is I think historically we've seen uh, fairly young people coming in sort of um, after post-secondary and that type of thing, but we just uh, welcomed a new class just on Monday, as a matter of fact, and uh, it was a real pleasure to go down and uh, welcome them. And what I'm seeing increasingly is there's more and more mid-career folks who talk about uh, in their introductions about the fact that, you know, this was something they'd thought about when they were younger, but um, life certainly took them in different places and it was still something that was in the back of their minds. And, you know, my comment to them was people seem to get uh, where they need to be uh, on their own time. And so we got a lot of folks that uh, are at uh, the beginning stages of their careers and then many, many as well that are actually um, bringing, you know, the experiences from other um, work and volunteerism and, and just life experience mm-hmm. into the milieu. So it's actually really, really, really good. Fantastic. Okay, so recruiting underway. Let's talk about the things that police officers on the job are doing on the daily here in our city. Uh, Calgary Transit saying police are soon going to be involved in, in helping monitor transit lines for, for some more issues that seem to have been popping up through this COVID year. Yeah, so public safety is a priority for the, our police service there, wherever they might be. But certainly lately, we have heard some complaints about um, um, 
issues and mainly disorder issues uh, on transit and people perceiving that it's unsafe. And obviously we can't have that in, in the city. And so uh, along with our partners in transit security and, and um, uh, bylaw and that sort of thing, we'll be working together to um, see if we can nip that in the bud. Got a question for you that uh, Tony King, a, a listener, well, actually, he's our main news anchor, <laughs> sent in. Uh, this is interesting because it, it, a couple of days ago, saw these headlines being made and knowing that the CPS was investigating the Confederate flag that was found at the Union mm. Cemetery. Uh, you know, uh, things like this and incidents like this, uh, we uh, they make news headlines sometimes. But do we see many more of these things that don't make headlines that are happening in our city? Well, you know what? When it comes to symbolism, um, I would say that... that um, we've seen a lot more um, lately. Um, I think sometimes, you know, things are more subtle and less subtle. I think in the case of the uh, the uh, Confederate flag that you talk about, uh, that popped up last night. Extremely unfortunate. Um, I'm not sure, um, you know, what good reason there would be for a Confederate flag flying anywhere in Canada, much less of a cemetery in, uh, in our city. But certainly, yeah, we're taking that seriously and looking into that. Um, I get a bit more of an update uh, this morning as to where we are with it, but uh, that's certainly a, a symbol that is, you know, that's very, very charged. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's not something we want to be seeing in our city here at all. Chief, I wanted to talk to you about body-worn cameras. Um, any updates on, on that? Is that something that's here to stay for our police officers in Calgary? I know it was vital in, in finding those responsible in the death of Sergeant Harnett. Uh, you know, is, is it something that we'll, we'll be seeing and hearing about more often? Yeah, it will be. Actually, um, so we've actually had the body-worn camera um, program rolled out there for more than a year now. Mm -hmm. Uh, But at the conclusion of the year, we did an evaluation on sort of what impacts it's had uh, in the Calgary Police Service and the broader um, justice system in terms of uh, prosecutions and and that sort of thing. Um, Actually, we're taking that report uh, to the uh, public portion of the Police Commission later this month, in fact, next week. Um, and so there will be some additional information out there. But, you know, sort of spoiler alert, uh, there's a lot of support for body-worn cameras. Um, they, they certainly do. Um, the technology, you know, requires some adjustment to the systems right across the whole justice system. But at the same time, we've seen some great benefits in terms of, as you mentioned, some investigative benefits. We've seen some early resolutions to some cases because the, um, the body-worn uh, video has been helpful. Even, um, you might recall here, with the um, officer-involved shooting that occurred earlier this month, uh, downtown in one district, the body-worn camera mm-hmm. footage was instrumental there as well. Chief, we're very excited to, to be welcoming the new season uh, this weekend. And aside from, you know, seeing more motorcycles on the road, which, uh, you know, you can maybe speak to the, the uh, safety on the roads when it comes to spring. Are there other things that we have to be vigilant of when we change seasons and temperatures get warmer when it comes to crime trends? Well, I think the big one is is probably that. I, I think that's a really good uh, point. Um, once we get the snow off the roads and uh, the gravel cleared out, you do see the motorcycles, you do see the um, the nice cars and that sort of thing. And uh, over 2020, and partially I think because of a uh, a lower amount of traffic on the roads and traffic volume than we would customarily see, we did see an increase in the number of injury collisions and fatal collisions in 2020. And certainly I think just people recognizing that, um, you know, the motorcycles are back on the road. We do have vulnerable road users out there in terms of folks on, on bikes and scooters and, and different things these days. So we have to be, and children as well, so we have to be very, very careful about um, um, what we're doing as the seasons change, and road safety is a, a, a big one. Well, we know uh, it's going to get warmer, and that brings out the bad guys sometimes. So I guess a reminders, too, about you know locking the garage and, frankly, staying off the ice, all those things that we need to uh, be aware of. And, and we thank you for all the work that your wonderful officers do in the city to keep us safe. 
Uh, they're working hard and doing a great job. I uh, appreciate it, you guys, and have a wonderful uh, spring day. You too, and happy St. Patrick's Day. That is Calgary Police Chief Mark Newfeld. Well, you know, since the start of the pandemic, we've had the pleasure of being able to pose your COVID-19 related questions to our expert. And he joins us a little early today to celebrate St. Patrick's Day and to answer all your questions. Joining us now, Associate Professor in the Department of Microbiology, Immunology and Infectious Diseases at the University of Calgary, Dr. Craig Janney. Should we call you Dr. O'Janney today, do you think? <laughs> sure, why not? Get an early start at this. <laughs> hey, thank you so much for joining us. I know you're busy later today, so we wanted to make sure that we got you in because we always have questions and we've had some holdovers uh, for you from last week. So are you ready, sir? We will try. All we right. Will try. Let's do this. Uh, we're starting off with the question, uh, will COVID be like SARS, do you think, and just disappear? And how, uh, okay, I'll, actually, I'll break those questions down. So if that's the first one, we'll start with that one. Do sure. you think COVID will be like SARS and it'll just go away? And did SARS really just disappear like that? So the, the first answer is no, I don't think this one will. And the main reason for that is we have a lot of asymptomatic carriers and a lot of pre-symptomatic, a long period of time that people can transmit before we know they're infected. SARS behaved a little differently. It was a little easier to identify and isolate those people, and we could break the transmission. Unfortunately, with this one, I think it's here to stay. SARS is largely gone, but it has not been what we would term eradicated from the planet. So there is a chance it could come back, although we're not seeing any active outbreaks anywhere currently. This is an interesting one, Dr. Jani. How do we know? Uh, we talk about, a lot about these variants like the UK, the Brazilian, the South African mutations. How do we know that they did not naturally appear in Canada as part of the life cycle of the virus and that they did come from returning travelers? Couldn't it be the case that we have our own variant here that develops? Oh, absolutely. And, and we likely do have our own variants. Uh, the, the good news is that it would appear that if we have any homegrown variants, they're not behaving differently. So they're not expanding and becoming a, a more common occurrence. The, the ones that we're able to fingerprint and track, we do the full genome sequencing. So not only are those important mutations, the pieces that make it the new variant, but all those little silent ones that don't change the actual function of the virus, but still act as a genetic fingerprint. So using those fingerprints, we can track how viruses move around the world. Where do they come from? Why do they happen? What, what, what is it that creates yeah. the, these separate variants? So it has a lot to do with the virus biology. When when cells in our body divide, we have a lot of double-checking and proofreading mechanisms. We don't want mutations. We want every cell that's born to look identical to the the one it came from. Viruses are different. They're saying, I I have a few billion kids. Let's let them be all randomly different, and maybe one will be better than the rest. So they've designed mechanisms that every time they copy, they change themselves in hopes of becoming a better and better virus just by luck. Mm. While we have you, I want to get to some clarification because when the AstraZeneca vaccine was first out, it was safe for people over the mm-hmm. age of 65. And then, oh, we're going to pump the brakes on that. And now we're hearing uh, that uh, the green light has been giving, uh, given basically for any age group, uh, adult age group for AstraZeneca. Can you tell us uh, what the changeup was and uh, why it was uh, uh, changed uh, in the past couple of days here? Yeah, sure. So when the vaccine was approved for use in Canada, we knew it was safe for everybody uh, over 18. So, so including those over 65. The piece of data that was missing that was not in that phase three clinical trial that was submitted to Health Canada was how well does it work? We know it's safe, but there wasn't 
wasn't enough people that were over 65 to know if it truly prevented disease. Since that initial phase three trial, we've now seen more than a, a 10 million people receive this vaccine around the world, and we're now able to track the real world data. So people who got the vaccine, how likely are they to be admitted to the hospital? And even more important, how likely are they to die of COVID? And as it turns out, that real world data says it is very protective, even in people over 65. So using that, that newest batch of data from real-world application, we're able to update our guidelines. So we knew it was safe. We just didn't know how well it worked. Now we know it works quite well. So it, it was appropriate to update our guidelines. That's great to hear. Okay, so here's a question. And as we approach the warmer months, summer for sure, will warm weather stop the outbreak? It'll help, but it, you know, we saw last summer we had super spreader events at outdoor events too, outdoor weddings, outdoor uh, mass gatherings. The virus can still spread. It slows down in the summer because it doesn't like UV light. So bright sunny days, virus doesn't like it. Typically, we are more than two meters apart when we're outside. We're not sitting directly across from a table in a restaurant or in a house. Again, just those little things are all very protective when they add up. So although we can still spread it outside, it's harder, and that should help drive numbers down a a fair bit. Got a question from Tina, and uh, she gets straight to the point. It's in her words, and she wants you to look into the crystal ball, Dr. Jan. (laughs) Mm -hmm. What are your honest, honest thoughts? Are we going to be locked down again with these variant strains due to the poor job Canada has done with the vaccination rollout? I think it's, I do think it's a 50 50. I don't honestly, I can't say one way or the other. I am concerned that the number of variant cases in Alberta are rising, it seems, by the day and absolutely by the week. Our vaccines are being deployed and being deployed quite quickly, but those virus cases are rising faster. And this is always the concern as we reopen. The more things we do in the community, the faster we spread that virus. So we really have to try and hold our ground until we have the, the at risk people vaccinated, and then we can start. To, to really ease up. We're starting to see, and Dr. Teresa Tam said this week, Canadians aged 20 to 39 now have the highest infection rate across the country. So what's going on with that situation? Is it just still that we're seeing young people not really, you know, falling into the, we're not going to get sick, so we'll just still hang out and party together and they're sort of spreading it to each other? Yeah, sadly, that's a large part of it. And again, it it also directly stems to who are the people that work the jobs with higher risk of exposure. So when restaurants are closed, a lot of our servers and other people were not working. Now that restaurants in many provinces have reopened, those people are are also back at work. So it's not just that that they're ignoring guidelines in, in a social setting, but some of those jobs that expose people to an increased risk of infection are back. And those are typically worked by people in that age group. I'm wondering if we have any updated data, Dr. Janney, when it comes to surfaces in touch. I know we're still using the hand sanity. We're still sanitizing everything, our workstations and all. uh, But does that seem to still be a high level of transmissivity or is it a case that we are talking just about the proximity and breathing? Yeah, so it's definitely uh, more the proximity breathing and the the droplets in the air. But surfaces can transmit, especially very high-touch surfaces, doorknobs, railings, things like that. So things such as hand sanitizing uh, are protective. Importantly, if if we look across the board, too, we we had no flu this year. Mm -hmm. But we've seen general infections down across the board. And that's because, you know, washing our hands seems to do a good job against a lot of germs. So it, it 
doesn't hurt to keep doing uh, the simple things. What a concept. Washing your hands helps. Uh, how about this one? This is, again, relating to the summer ahead. Can mosquitoes or ticks spread the virus that causes COVID? Yeah, mercifully, no. So otherwise, Canada would probably be wiped out by this thing. Um, <laughs> so yeah, no, I, we're safe. It is not a bloodborne transmission. So we don't see that from the biting insects, mosquitoes or ticks. So good news there. Uh, we, we still you know, just have to worry about swatting them for comfort. And stuff. Well, I wonder if we can carry over for one more uh, quick segment, Dr. Jenny. Of course. Excellent. We'll be uh, joining Dr. Jenny again, Dr. Craig Jenny, infectious disease specialist from the University of Calgary. If you have a question, you can always text it into us 403 974 8255. I had to look at the number. <laughs> Every day I do. <laughs> 6.20 on uh, Mornings with Sue and Andy. Thank you so much for taking the time with us on a on a Wednesday morning. And happy St. Patty's Day to you. Happy to have Dr. Craig Janney, infectious disease specialist from the University of Calgary with us. And an earlier slot, you can maybe still squeak your question in on the text line at 403-974-8255. Dr. Janney, got, got one in here from George that said, after my very first shot, um, the series of two shots, after my first shot, how much protection would I initially have? So if you wait a few weeks, and this differs by the vaccine, so two to three weeks, you can actually have some pretty good protection, uh, upwards of 80% from that first shot. Okay. So it's one reason why we have been able to space the shots out for, for, for some people, increase the gap a little bit, because that first shot is pretty darn good. The second shot's going to boost it a little bit, but more importantly, it's going to establish that long-term memory. So if you need that second shot to make sure you're protected months down the road. Uh, and in regards to that, a lot of questions around how far apart can we spread those two vaccines? Your thoughts, are we we pushing it a little bit too much? Based on the, the real-world data, again, so not the clinical trial, but the real-world data, it, we know that even well past two months, there's absolutely no dent in, in or loss of immunity. So, so we know we're still well within that. And we know from other vaccines that we get, the original Hep B formulations, you can have six months until that, that last booster. So we know that, that this works in the real world. The critical thing is that as those gaps are extended, we're watching. So there are clinical trials happening where we are tracking that. And if there is any evidence of, of immunity fading, they are going to move those shots up. So the, the guidelines are up to four months, not prescribed at four months. Brian had a question about the Johnson & Johnson because it's a one-shot deal. When we're rolling that out, is it effective the coming days after you've had the vaccine or instantly? No. So unfortunately, all of these require our immune system to learn. And it does that, you know, when you get sick, that's why your lymph nodes swell. That's your immune system actually going in and replicating itself, finding the pieces of the immune system that can recognize the virus and making copies of those immune cells. So that takes a little time, no matter which vaccine we're talking about. Do we know any better yet about, you know, uh, if, if I get the shot, uh, can I go and hang out with Andy, who also has the shot, and we're guaranteed to not get sick or pass it around? So, guaranteed not to get sick? No. Um, what we do know is that if both parties have the shot, the risk of anybody getting severe illness is dramatically cut. And we're seeing those guidelines in the United States, that if all parties are fully vaccinated, those individuals can, can associate, for example, without a mask. Right now in Canada, we have to remember the a small majority of the population, or small percentage of the population will be fully immunized. So they're protected from disease, but they could still actually transmit the virus to people who are not immunized. So for at least the next uh, several weeks to a couple months, we're still going to see some of those physical distancing and guidelines in place. What about the sports and large gatherings? How comfortable would you feel, let's say, middle of summer to early fall, sitting in a stadium? 
that will depend on exactly how much vaccine uptake we get in the province. If we get, you know, more, uh, the majority of people vaccinated, I'd feel very comfortable uh, attending those events, uh, particularly if I personally am vaccinated. If we see vaccines stall and, and not reaching that, that majority of Albertans, um, I'd be a little more hesitant of large social gatherings, regardless of personal health, but we would see a, a definite spike in hospitalizations if there's not enough protected people in the community. You did it again. You answered everything. Uh, sorry. <laughs> no, thank you. you. You do such a great job answering all of our questions. Uh, we love it that we were able to get you on today. Um, I know you have a conference later today, so thanks for joining us early. And thank you for uh, really you know, straightening out a lot of people with questions and, and the, the re- answers that make us all feel far more comfortable moving forward. Have a great day and happy St. Patrick's Day to you. You too, guys. Take care. Appreciate it. That's Dr. Craig Janney, who is, of course, the Associate Professor in the Department of Microbiology, Immunology, and infectious diseases at the University of Calgary. Women leading the charge when it comes to building Alberta's economic diversification. Let's talk about what is being done and what's happening here in this province. Joining us this morning is Judy Fairburn, who is the co-founder and co-CEO of The 51. Good morning, Judy. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you, Sue and Andrew. Thanks very much. Let's talk about The 51. What exactly is it? How did you start it? So, indeed, we're driven by a a new kind of economic diversification by uh, unlocking the potential of 51% of the population. What's the 51? Women. Women Women-led capital, talent, and drive. That's what we're all about. And, uh, you know, we're really motivated um, by the business case of this. Uh, Can I I throw a couple of stats at you? Yes, please. Okay, that'd be great. You know, and I've been very involved in, you know, advancing here in the, in the Calgary and the new economy with Calgary Economic Development, as well as nationally on our economic strategies. Um, and, you know, good McKinsey stat that says that by 2026, we have the potential in Canada, then women-led initiatives can add $150 billion incremental GDP. It's pretty significant. And there's another aspect, one other stat, if I could throw it at you, that I find really fascinating, is that um, it's forecast in Canada that by 2030, women will control 65% of the wealth. Wow. From a, a third a decade ago. And we already, you know, I think we know this, we already control 85% of the purchases. Mm-hmm. So, so it's a big shift, you know, in terms of women going from the passenger seat, I'd say, to, to placing ourselves in the driver's seat. Judy, uh, by the way, the website looks fantastic. I just I like the style of it as well when you're searching the51.com. But what I find interesting about this is not just pitting men against women in business or uh, in general. It's not a battle of the sexes, but this seems to be women supporting women and uh, getting together and collaborating. Uh, yeah, and this is quite business-driven. I mean, where we're coming from is this tremendous economic opportunity here. And so when we're coming to financial feminism... It's that from a real positive lens of let's be well positioned in all matters financial and fully contribute to growing the economy. And so, yeah, we founded, you know, the 51 about two years ago, Shelley Kuypers, Alice Reimer and myself, them seasoned tech entrepreneurs, mine, myself been very much from, from the business world and founded uh, corporate venture funds and, 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 you know, we're very active in the Calgary community with Creative Destruction Lab and Passport Chair of Alberta Innovate. So we just saw this tremendous potential of the women in the province and beyond. You unlock the foresight, the drive to create economic opportunity. So, 
you know, we're now at a community of 10,000 around the world. Um, so this is founded in Calgary. Great story. And, and investors across Canada, um, we've activated over 15 million in capital and growing 24 companies. Um, and, uh, you know, we're really building, um, you know, in this time that I think Calgary needs it so much, that, that drive, that confidence, that entrepreneurial acumen to, to, to really unlock what's, you know, possible in this province. And that's why you kind of frame it as a new kind of economic diversification. Um, so, you know, in key sectors, we've been investing in great companies here, you know, right in Calgary, um, Virtual Gurus, Summit Nanotech, um, you know, other companies in digital commerce, ag tech, health tech, um, and we're just rolling up our sleeves. So, Judy, you know, what's the gist here? Is it that, you know, are these businesses, are these individual women that are kind of, you know, helping to boost and 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 and, and raise up other women or other companies or, or help with startups or all of the above? Oh, super question. You know, it's been really awesome. This is like purely Calgarian is um, all of our investors are private individuals. Um, we've got over 95 now and 90 percent of them are women. Again, from across Canada, who are rolling up their sleeves, putting their capital, their expertise, their networks, their talent to work, to propel and women-led, co-led companies. And, you know, in Alberta, what's kind of a neat stat is that we actually are double the national average on the percentage of women-led, co-led companies in innovative sectors at 30%. Wow. And so we're so motivated by taking that and helping these companies grow to really driving, you know, more economic uh, diversification in this province. And um, it, it's a really exciting story. So I know we often hear all the challenges and stuff, but, but we see the silver lining. There is some cool stuff going on in this province. You know, it's fine to have a website and, and, and you know, and gain some attention and, and gather, but you have to, you know, reach out and connect. And you've got a ton of events. I'm looking at, for example, you've got a couple of events tomorrow, Coffee Live and Money and Relationships. Like you're really trying to interact, aren't you, with your membership? Yeah, huge. 10,000 community. One of the, one of the silver linings of, of COVID right. has been we've gone virtual around the world. And so last week we had an expert in the future of learning, which is so key here um, to, to Calgary as we reskill and for the new economy, um, right out of Singularity University, you know, which is like the one of the top world universities for innovation. And so, and then we bring very practical topics, like you mentioned, um, for women and money, so that we all raise the, our level of understanding about money, so that we're well positioned. To, to be able to, to champion money, manage it well, create businesses, make smart investing decisions. And that, that's what we're about, is taking the great ideas and providing that, that comfortable place, particularly for women. We have great guys with us, too, to really say, let's talk money, let's talk investing, and let's make things happen. Sounds like an amazing and powerful community. You can buy a membership online as well. The website again, the51 with the number 51, the51.com. Thanks so much, Judy, for uh, updating us with what you're doing. You bet. Now, base level membership, 51 bucks a year. So we encourage as <laughs> many want is. to be part of this, get into it. <laughs> Love it. Great idea. Excellent option to, to get in there and, and be part of this uh, amazing movement. Thanks again, Judy. Appreciate your Thanks, time. Thanks, Sue and Andrew. Appreciate it. That's Judy Fairburn, co-CEO of The 51. Yeah, I do. Again, that website looks fantastic, and it is fine to have a huge membership. But as I mentioned, you, you got you to connect, and it looks like they have events every every few days online. I wonder if that'll continue post-pandemic, because as, as Judy mentioned, it's it's fantastic to have that extra reach, and you can have speakers. We we, we talked to folks, uh, well, the Folk Festival, as a matter of fact, even, who said 
it's, it's changed the way we do things with online. So it truly has. I mean, you know, you have to find the pluses, the positives in, in a negative situation and being able to reach out across the world and, and be able to include the greatest minds in whatever you're talking about. Fantastic. Absolutely. And I have to, I, like, the, the text line's rolling through, by the way. There's lots of stuff coming in because we asked. <laughs> you brought it, it up. You talked about fur friends. You brought it up originally. <laughs> you brought up a stat about dogs. Yes. So we said, what is your favorite breed? If you can only have one dog, and I mean, you, you know, if, you, if you're a dog person, you have multiple dogs throughout your life, but usually you switch up the breeds. But if you had to just choose one, what would it be? And why is that breed the best? Now, I said miniature pincher. I have to also add beagle because I had beagles growing up. Love beagles. They're Boxers. howlers, those oh, are puppies, they though. And I love the wiener dogs, uh, the dachshund, uh, we had dachshunds. I, don't, I love I, pound puppies too. Yeah, I haven't met Some a of dog. the most sweet, beautiful, kind-hearted animals are the ones that you find in the pound. I haven't met a dog I, I don't like. No, me too. It's outstanding. Well, so. here's the one we like. Labrador Retrievers are our favorite dog for the 30th year in a row. At number two, jumping up French Bulldogs, bumping out German Shepherds to number three. So that's the order that this poll is in, in terms of Canadians and what dogs we like, but... Uh, let us know which dog you prefer, whether you have one at home or you just want to have one. State your case. Yeah, 403-974-8255. 849 and the mouthwateringly delicious March edition of Savor Calgary magazine is out. And we've got the latest on our city's amazing food scene. Joining us is the editor of Savor Calgary, Cami Laird. Hi, Cami. Good morning. Thank Top of the morning to you, should I say. Top of the morning to you, too, Lassie. Thank you for joining <laughs> us. Uh, today, Cammy, we're talking Women's History Month, cooking with beer, and masterclass pasta making. Where do you begin? Those are all oh, three wonderful topics. Right. Well, let's start with this gorgeous cover, first of all. Yes. Um, it's so beautiful. We've got uh, Connie D'Souza, Jin He Lee, and Jenny Kang on the cover. Artist Maya Corona did a great job. So colorful and beautiful. Um, so, yeah, we, you know, honored our Women's History Month with um, three powerhouse women in our cooking scene here in Calgary. And uh, all three of them started a new project during a pandemic. So Catherine Brunshot, um called the story Forged by Fire. And uh, just it's, it's just a really inspiring look at how uh, these three chefs um, have handled and succeeded and thrived in the pandemic. Awesome. Uh, so that was a, a really great story to read uh, for sure. And um yeah, cooking with beer. I just couldn't think of a more Perfect appropriate for thing. Perfect for St. Day. <laughs> right? So Julie Van Rosendahl put three great recipes together for us. Um, and I would like to talk about Welsh rabbit. And I say it like that because sometimes it's called rabbit. But there's no rabbit in it. It has the other three food groups, cheese, bread, and beer. Which are the really only important food groups. Well, this is what I think. There's a, there's a side of cream as well. So we always like to have that in our... Um... We need dairy. <laughs> One needs dairy for sure. So <laughs> this is like uh, cheese toast on steroids. Oh. It's, yeah, it's just beautiful. <laughs> Have a look at it and, um, you know, maybe try it at home this time. Okay, and pasta making. You know, I think that's intimidating for a lot of people. Totally. Does it need to be? Um Maybe I've watched it being done myself, and um, I think if you have the right equipment, um, you're great. So newcomer Amanda Lambert, she's uh, back in town, hometown girl, um, and an excellent chef. And I got to watch her make this meal, and um, yeah, it, it was um, a little intimidating. But the step by step process—that's sort of the idea of the masterclass—is to give something a little bit more challenging. And uh, man, I got to taste it at the end, and it is worth the effort. 
But, you know, Cammy, if nothing else, like, I mean, if you're trying to watch E, you flip through this and it's game over because the pictures are fantastic. <laughs> and if, if you're not sure where you want to, you know, go and you, you don't want to do the old app thing, maybe you want to get back to something tangible, you pick up Saver and there's so many great opportunities to dine local and support local. That's what I love about it. Me too. That's what I also love about it. Getting to meet all the people who are just doing such new creative things um, and just figuring out how to get things done deliciously mm-hmm. through some ch- what's been a pretty challenging year. Um, but I'm just, it never ceases to amaze me what Calgary chefs and, and restaurateurs have been able to come up with um, to keep us eating well. You know, it's funny because Andy tells me most things he, he picks up, he just looks at the, the pictures and not read the article, oh. which is, you know, opposite to some. anyway this is a great it's a great episode uh, episode a great uh, magazine this one and i do love that that front art cover it's so neat to be able to focus in on some of the females that are really uh, rising to the top in calgary but our food scene overall is just awesome it's happening, man. There's just, you know, folks who have, um, you know, either been laid off. Like there's, for example, there's a, a, a gentleman who created a company called Delish Balls. I know it's a little cheeky, but look them up online, <laughs> Delish Balls with a Z. Um, and he's kind of taken Spanish and Iranian fusion and created these delicious little empanada things. Um, and there's just a whole bunch of examples like that of folks who just really use their creativity, their background, um, and come up with something really different and delicious. Wow, incredible and mouth-watering, and now we're all hungry. Mm-hmm. Happy St. Patty's Day, and thank you so much for your time, Cammy. Oh, thanks as always, guys. Happy St. Patty's Day. Well, that is Cammy Laird, editor of Savor Calgary Magazine. Pick it up. And, of course, more online at Savor, that's Savor, S-A-V-O-U-R, calgary.ca.